The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Gary asked that I make this announcement. Just be continuing to pray for he and Bev as they um, seek uh, more trial ch- opportunities down at NB Anderson this week. He'll be gone from Monday to Wednesday. He spoke at Pine Cove all week, and we know he's just physically exhausted right now. So just lift him up in prayer. And also pray for them as they go to MD Anderson again this week to seek out um, more chances for trials. So please do that for them. So we are continuing our series in Proverbs today. And if it seems like we have started every week with this one passage, it's because we have. So I'm going to look at my first slide here. Here we go. Is this thing working? I need to turn this thing on. I told you guys I wasn't ready yet, so... There we go. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We've made the point each week, it's really important to ground ourselves here in this passage because Proverbs can sound like just good advice. And it's so much more than that. It's really easy to see Proverbs as a how-to manual and completely bypass the heart as you talk about these different topics week to week. And so we want to focus on 1-7 each week because central to this book is a fear of God. And how do we know someone fears God? Well, do they live with wisdom in all the areas we've talked about over the course of the series? Do they use wisdom? Do they truly fear God? And so today's topic, we'll know if someone fears God in how they handle friendships. Now, I know that friendship isn't appealing as romance, is it? Uh, romance gets our attention. There's not many, um, most movies are going to have a romance theme, or there's always that little token romantic relationship in, in most movies and those kinds of things. In the store, what's on the magazine covers? It's look who's marrying who, look who's sleeping with who, look who cheated on who. It's never look who's friends with who. Like that just doesn't quicken the pulse. Nothing about friendship um, we don't see it that way. In the bookstore, there are sections on marriage or sections on parenting, but there's not gonna, you're not going to find much on friendship. You'd be hard-pressed. Most of us experience friendship, but we don't think all that deeply about it, right? One of our core values here at TBC is community. And, but I will say, I think we use that word a lot, but we rarely talk about friendship. And I don't think community and friendship are the exact same thing. You can be in a community group, but not be cultivating friendship. And so my hope today is that we're going to talk not just about community, we're going to talk about friendship, how to cultivate it and grow it in your life. We should find friendship in the context of community, but we've got to learn how to seek it out and how to cultivate it. So we mentioned this in our Disconnected series a few weeks ago. Today, loneliness and isolation are at an all-time high, and I think you know that. It, even in, uh, Some countries are taking notice of this. This is a picture of Tracy Crouch. She is the Minister for Loneliness in the UK. They have a, I'm not sure if it's cabinet level, but they have a person that they have appointed to deal with the epidemic of loneliness in the UK, Tracy Crouch. Another leader in Britain said that loneliness leads to all kinds of other health issues, more dangerous than smoking 
15 cigarettes per day leads to anxiety, depression, dementia. So we know it's an epidemic, I think, in our culture, but all over the world. I recently ran across this. This is pretty funny. You can, there's a rent a friend website. And this started in Japan and took off worldwide. And I love, you can't read this, it's too hard to read, but I'll read this to you. The front of the website says, rent a friend to attend a social event, a wedding, or party with you. Hire someone to introduce you to new people, or someone to go to a movie or restaurant with. Hire a friend to show you around a new town or teach you a new skill or hobby. And then you can't see the list here, but the list looks really small to you. But some of my favorite suggestions on the list are these. Use rent-a-friend as a wingman to teach you manners. Family functions. Now listen, if you need rent-a-friend at a family function, your problems are many, right? (laughs) How about workout partner? Like, here's a thought. Hire a personal trainer, right? And then the other one, one that I love is because it's so random, is um, hot air balloon. It's just thrown in there, like just to go with someone on a hot air balloon. And then lastly, for my high school students who probably aren't in the service, uh, prom dates. Get your prom date through Rent-A-Friend. Now, some of you are thinking, now, I don't need friends, but I am looking for a job, right? And so I don't mean to sound crass when I say this, but we now have, this is like, Friendship prostitution, right? This is really what this is. It's pretty disturbing. And we can have fun with this, but the need for friendship, I know, we know is real. Uh, Every year I take a survey of my high school students and um, we ask them questions like, you know, what first attracted you to Overflow High School Ministry? And what might make you not want to come and be a part of Overflow High School? And Every year, it's the same response. They write in their responses, and they say things like, what attracted me was fellowship, community, and friendship. What might drive me away is if my friends don't go or too many clicks or feel I don't belong. And so what draws them is friendship. What might push them away is a lack of friendship. So at the Outback, we, of course, we value teaching the Word. We value worship. We value what happens on that stage. But we also know if we don't create an environment that's welcoming to them, they won't come into that building. And so what draws them is friendship. What might push them away is a lack of friendship. And so I want to frame our discussion this morning with three questions. First, what is, why is friendship important? I think we all know we desire friendship, but the question is why? Well, it starts with God. It starts with God himself. You see, we believe in the Trinity that there's one God but three persons, Father, um, Son, Holy Spirit. And so God is by nature relational. He is inherently relational. A popular idea in our culture is that God is love. Most will say, yeah, of course, God is love. But when most say that, they mean that God is love because he loves us. So what about before creation? Could we say that God is love before he created? I would say yes, because we know that in the Trinity there is perfect love, there is perfect relationship and perfect harmony, and they have dwelled in perfect relationship for eternity. So because of that, we can say that God is love. 
I took my students to New York City a couple weeks ago on a mission trip. We've gone in the last six or seven years now, and one of the things we do there is we teach ESL classes to people that have a Muslim background, Hindu background, or Buddhist background. And I love the conversations we get into, um, especially with Muslim men in these ESL classes, because they will, they're the ones that will talk to you the most about what they believe and want to hear what you believe. And one, I had two conversations with two different men the last couple of weeks, and, and they both started talking about the Trinity and how you know, we don't believe in a trinity. You all believe in this thing called the trinity. We don't, we don't believe Jesus Christ is God. You all believe that. We don't believe that. And we start talking about the trinity, and they, of course, don't understand how there could be one God but three persons. But when you think about it, if there is no trinity, then God is solitary. God is isolated. God is not relational and not communal. And we could never say the statement that God is love. And so we believe that God is inherently relational, inherently communal, and we're made in his image, so this is why we crave friendship. So I don't know if you ever thought about friendship in theological terms before, but this, there's some theology to this, and it's because God is a God of relationship and community, and we're made in his image, and so we are people who crave friendship. And crave relationship, not just with God, but also with each other. And so this is why we crave friendship. How we handle friendship is a great barometer for spiritual growth. Tim Keller writes, the less you want friends, the less like God you are. One thing I've heard students and adults say is things like this. I don't come to church for all that social stuff. I come to hear the word. Well, the Word says we should care about friendship. And so Proverbs 18, 24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's amazing how ancient this text is and how it applies today, isn't it? We live in this digital age where it's not uncommon to have over a thousand friends or followers on social media. And this affects how we do friendships, right? In our culture, we are a mile wide but an inch deep much of the time. And so why does, why does Proverbs warn against having too many friends? I mean, if friendship is good, then how can you have too much of a good thing? But the reality is, if you, have, if you try to have that many friends, then you're going to be pulled in so many directions. You're going to be a mile wide and an inch deep with those friendships. It's not about how many people we know, but how deep we go with them. The wise person doesn't go through life trying to please a thousand people. And the wise person doesn't go, go through life alone, but they journey side by side with friends. Something else we see in this verse is that friendships are unique. There is no relationship like friendship. It even says it says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What the writer is saying is that there's no relationship like it, not even family. Family is assigned, right? It's almost the end of summer, and some of you are realizing how much of an assignment family really is right now, aren't you? But friendship is chosen. Friendship is chosen. 
And so this passage is saying that, that friendships are, are very unique. It's a very unique relationship. J.C. Ryle writes, The world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin. It is a dark place. It is a lonely place. It is a disappointing place. The brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Friendship halves our troubles and doubles our joys. This is why almost no one, unless you're a little bit off, goes to a movie or the theater by themselves, right? Having fun, half the fun is being with people. If something good happens to you, this is why you want to share it with other people because you want to share, want them to share in your joy. And sharing it doubles that joy. Think back on your best memories throughout your life. I'd bet they were more about a who than a what. Conversely, when, when suffering happens, it's good when people come alongside and mourn with you. It doesn't um, get rid of the anguish, but when people can, can share those burdens with you, it lessens the load. I think of the, the Tebow family who's in our church. Actually, this morning, the, uh, Kevin and Wendy Tebow are back. They had a, a pretty difficult vacation. They went to Maine with family and supposed to be a nine-day trip. Their daughter, Abby, had an ATV accident. Um, was pretty serious, went into the hospital, had a couple of surgeries, had to have surgery down in Boston. It has been an ordeal. And I know, I texted Wendy last night and said, hey, can I share this with the, the crowd tomorrow? And she said, sure. And I know she's been sharing on Facebook updates, and Abby's doing really well now. They just got back into town last night. But she talked about how friendship has lessened the burden for them as they've walked these last few weeks. And so friendship has a way of doubling our joys, but also having our troubles and our sorrows. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. If you have ever struggled with worry or anxiety like many of us have, like all of us have, there is a physical sensation that you feel when you're walking through those kinds of things in your life. I mean, you feel this weight, literal weight on your chest, weight on your shoulders, and you can feel it. But a good word makes him glad. There's two things that a friend can give us when we suffer. It's their presence and their words. And I will tell you, there is nothing better than when you have a friend, when you're walking through those difficult times of life, and you can go to that friend, and that friend has words. And you can just literally feel the weight lift off as you leave that meeting with them. I've got a really, really good friend, um, an old friend of mine in, in Arizona, and I will call him and just talk about life sometimes. And, and that man will preach the gospel to me. He will say words that I need to hear. And I feel the weight lift as the conversation progresses. And you have friends like that. You need friends like that. And so a good word can go a long way when someone gives you their words and their presence. Proverbs 13, 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And then Drew Hunter writes, We make friends, and then our friends make us. 
Friends have a way of shaping our character. Some people, it's very popular in our culture today to say things like, I'm my own person. You're, no one is their own person. Your friends make you. The relationships that you keep end up shaping your character, shaping who you become. And so we are not our own person. We become who our friends are. I often think about where would I be if I had stayed with certain friends? I think about this guy I knew in, in late elementary school in sixth grade. And I would go to his house a lot and spend the night. And he lived in this wooded area of Virginia. And there was a river close to his house. And there was a bunch of really nice, neighbor, nice uh, homes in that part of um, the county. And so one day we'd go hiking in the woods and we'd come across this river. And the river had receded a little bit, so it was kind of muddy on the banks. And there is this huge mansion up on the hill. And there is this immaculate pontoon boat sitting in the mud. I mean, the, it's in the mud, but everything else is immaculate. And so he and I look at the mud and look at that boat, and we start thinking, are you, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And so we begin to take that mud with our hands, and we start smearing it all over the immaculate carpet on this boat, getting it in real deep and just throwing mud all over the inside of this thing. And then it had this immaculate set of like knobs and levers. And we start throwing mud all over top of this boat, these, these, these knobs and levers. And then we think we hear a door open at the house. And so we start booking it through the woods and take off to his house. And we don't stop running until we get to his house. And so this friend, later on, we'd go into a store. And he would just take something, put it in his pocket. And I'd sit there and go, I'm not doing that. And this, I would love to say that I had this moment of moral clarity, but I didn't. He just started going to a different school. He left my school, went somewhere else, and so we lost touch. And we reconnected on Facebook a few years ago, and it turns out that he did some prison time. And so I so often think about what might my life have looked like had I stayed with certain friends. Where would I be if I'd stayed with certain friends? A.C. Grayling highlights the importance of having friends and having good friends. If you think of someone who has no friends, you see what can happen. A human being like a neglected garden may become rather overgrown, quite literally dirty and unkempt, unsocial, introverted, after a bit eccentric or half-mad, Social intercourse keeps people quite literally clean and reasonably polite, sane and functional. We've all seen people that that don't have many friends, and you can just kind of tell, right? And so the importance of friends, why is friendship so important? Well, first of all, it's grounded in the person of God, and God has given us friendships to reflect him. And so the next question I want to look at is what does real friendship look like? You might not be able to read that, how small the writing is, but I want to talk this morning about really close friends. But if I can categorize friendship or relationship, we would say impersonal relationships. There are acquaintances. These are people that you would know their name and their face, 
but not much else about them. Then we have uh, casual friends. So many people that you converse with about the weather, sports, small talk. But then we have close friends. And so today's talk is about close friendships. And how do you develop and cultivate close friendships with people? I think you know this. We can't be close to everyone. And if we try, we'll be close to no one. And so for this list, we're describing close friends. And I'm, I'm getting this from uh, a book by Drew Hunter na- called Made for Friendship. He lists off several things that are foundations of friendship. The first thing he says is affection. I think we see this in the friendship of Jonathan and David. We see it pretty clearly in, in Scripture. And I think you could do a whole series on friendship. And you could do a whole study on the friendship of Jonathan and David. We don't have time for all that this morning. But you could look at the life of the friendship of Jonathan and David and, and conclude that I think my friendships are missing something. Because I think, especially for us men, I think men today are afraid of telling another guy how much he means to them. They might think it's, that's kind of creepy, that's weird, why are you talking so emotional to me? But I think we've lost that. We, a lot of, for a lot of us guys, we don't have that ability to communicate affection, how we feel about the friendship of another guy. And I would say a man that's truly secure in his identity can tell another guy how much his friendship means to him. I think some men think the only way to show affection is through the spiritual gift of sarcasm, right? For a lot of us guys, that's how we show affection is just, we just make fun of each other. And that's, that's a love language for a lot of guys, right? You know, I've got some friends that, that are a lot better at this than I am. If I go and have lunch and catch up from not seeing them for a long period of time, they might send a text message after the meal and say, hey, man, I really appreciate your friendship. Just miss hanging out with you. Just something affirming and encouraging. And I usually reply back, you know, ditto, you know, something deep. But it's, it's hard. It's hard as a guy to let your guard down and let someone else in and let them know how they affect you. And so affection is a huge um, foundation for friendship. Next is constancy. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times means that a friend loves when times are good and when times are bad. Real friendship involves commitment. And I think in our culture today, we miss that because relationships are difficult. We have marriage, which is difficult. We have parenting. That's a whole other category of difficult. And we don't want friends to have to require that much of us, right? And so we don't think of friendships as being a commitment, but the Bible says that they are a commitment. Real friendship is a commitment. I think many of us have what we would call consumer friendships rather than real friendships. Consumer friendship is about external things like popularity, wealth, or status. Real friendship isn't about using the other person, but about enjoying them just for the sake of the friendship. 
And so how do you know when a friendship is constant? Well, what happens when one of the two goes through really difficult things? Suffering is a great test for constancy. How constant are my friends? Well, how do they respond when I'm going through really, really difficult circumstances? And I will also say that we've got to be really gracious with each other when we're not constant. I know that many of you read that verse and you're thinking about right now, friends of yours that have not lived up to that, that text, right? Well, I was going through this and they, I felt kind of abandoned. And so we're all thinking of those circumstances. So sometimes constantly, constancy looks like saying sorry when we're not constant and just owning it and acknowledging that I've not been the friend who loves at all times, and I want to be a person who is constant and, and shows that in my friendships. So we need constancy, but that does not mean be overbearing. One of my favorite Proverbs of all time is this, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. I love Proverbs. Because someone's going to take that last verse, a friend loves at all times, and they're going to think it means a friend loves at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and you're going to say, but, but you said friends are constant. That doesn't mean constantly over at their house. And there's some that are just overbearing, and they're just not self-aware. They're not wise. And this kind of person usually has short-lived friendships. This is the kind of person who says, you know what tomorrow is? It's our friendiversary. Let's have lunch and wear matching shirts. You're just like, that's just weird. I'm not doing that. And so if you have a friend like this, we have a gift for you. We want to give to you. This is called the Not Welcome Mat. And I had Mark Rojas design it for us this week, so thank you, Mark Rojas, for putting that together. But seriously, if you've got to use wisdom. Looking at Proverbs, you can look at one verse and say, okay, I'm going to be constant. It does not mean overbearing. It does not mean overbearing. We've got to use wisdom as we navigate these kinds of relationships. Next, we have transparency. Are you open about what's happening with you? Are you someone that people can see into your soul because you let them, because you share, you talk, you converse, you talk about things that are more important than the weather or sports? Do you let your friends in? And it's true, we cannot be totally transparent with everyone, but we should be with close friends. If we never share anything but surface level stuff, you're never going to develop close friendships. We confess our sin. We, we share hopes. We share dreams, failures, pray for each other. And you might say, well, what if they don't reciprocate? Like, what if I'm the only person? What if this is a one-way street? Well, sometimes friendship is like playing an emotional game of chicken. 
Like, who's going to crack first? And you'd be surprised that if you're transparent, they just might be transparent too. And now you've got a deeper friendship. And what's really, really amazing is when someone begins to share in this way, and then the friend doesn't reject, but they move closer. Like, that is a refreshment. That is a refreshing thing. When you can be transparent with someone, and they reciprocate, and there's a a deepening of the friendship that takes place because of that. This also would include honesty. One of the hardest things is to speak honestly to a friend. I think we all know that. There is this fear of, I've got this thing I need to say, and I know I need to say it, but man, if I say it, I just don't think it's going to go well. Proverbs 27 6 talks about this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Some people will just kiss up to you, some people will tell you just what you want to hear. And Proverbs says that that person, although they feel like your friend, they are truly your enemy. Profuse are the kisses of of an enemy. So if there is someone that is in your life that seems like, I just feel like they never tell me the truth. They're always just telling me how great I am or how awesome I am, and they never want to rock the boat. And Proverbs says that person is not really a friend. They're actually an enemy. So not even neutral. They're actually in the enemy category. But then faithful are the wounds of a friend. Maybe someone has said some hard things to you and they feel like an enemy. Proverbs says they are your truest friend because real friends tell you the truth. And they do it with kindness and because they love you. You know, most of us care more about what our friends think of us than what our friends need from us. And we focus more on being accepted and liked than being able to receive truth and being able to tell the truth. And so the writer, uh, Drew Hunter, he says that friends are like a doctor for your soul. They hurt you to heal you. And when they do, they might feel like an enemy, but they are your truest friend. So we have transparency. Then we also have empathy. In Romans 12, 15, Paul says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This is the ability to feel what they feel and to see what they see. This person, the, the empathetic person, can detect someone's emotional state and they can, they can adjust to it. When someone can do that, It is so refreshing when someone can do that. When going through suffering, many of you have suffered or currently suffering. And when you're going through suffering, there's already an isolation or aloneness that you feel because of your suffering. And you feel like no one understands. But that feeling of isolation can add to the suffering. 
But when there's a friend that shows up who, who gets it, that person who understands, that person who is empathetic to your situation, they have a way of cutting that burden in half and lifting the burden with us. Proverbs 25.20 says, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. What that's talking about is, let's just say that you're in like, it's really, really cold outside. Or you're just in here on a Sunday morning, because it's usually freezing in this room. And you've got your coat on, and someone walks over and just yanks it off of you, right? Like that would just be an annoyance. That would just be like, a, what are you doing? And you would feel this instant, like this person is just grating upon me, right? Or everyone at, at some point tried the science experiment of the vinegar and soda in the volcano. We know they don't mix. They don't mix well. And so the person who lacks empathy is a person who their words never really mix well with the situation. Somebody could be about to share something emotional or really hard, and they just switch over to talking about sports. They, they just don't have an ability to connect with the moment. They're their words always seem to fall short in the moment and never mix well with the situation. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19 say, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. If you're joking, this is, I'm directing this more toward the guys on this one probably, but if your joking causes someone else to get hurt, it's not a joke, it's sin. This would be like, just look at how vivid the imagery is here. This is kind of dramatic, I know. It'd be like someone walking up and jamming an arrow through your chest and then saying, just kidding, just messing with you. And you've got, like, blood pouring out of your chest. And you're like, but this really hurts. And so if someone gets hurt, it's not a joke. It's sin. And, of course, they're talking about deception here. But we don't get to play the joke card and, and, and get out of jail free, right? We can't do that. That's not being empathetic. So someone who's not empathetic is going to struggle to have real friends. And usually they're going to draw people to themselves that are just like them, that are just as callous as they are, and also struggle with empathy. And they'll just feed each other through that superficial friendship. So we have affection, we have constancy, we have transparency, and we have empathy. And I will tell you that none of these things are going to guarantee friendships. You can do all these things. This is where you have to be careful because Proverbs can sound like a formula of, here, do these things and you'll be guaranteed friendships for life. If you're like me, as you studied this, if you looked at this this morning, as I looked at it this week, I thought, man, friendship is just really hard. And I realized we don't have great friendships because we aren't great friends. 
we lack here, I think, in the area of friendships. And so this talk can lead in, in two bad directions. I want to caution you from going in these two bad directions. The first one is judging others. It's going to be very easy for us to look at this list of what friendship really should look like and say, well, no one in my life is living up to that and become judgmental towards other people that are your friends. That's one response. The other response would be you living in shame and feeling like, well, I don't measure up to that. Like, I can't be a friend like that. And so I want to caution you from those two responses of judging others but also shaming ourselves. And I think we need something that gives us grace when none of us measure up. So where do we find resources for real friendship? C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, has some great things to say about friendship. And one of the things he says is that friendship arises when two or more discover that they have in common some insight or interest. That is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Friendship must be about something. Those who have nothing can share nothing, and those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. He goes on to say, in another part of that that book or that chapter, he goes on to say that friendship begins when two people say, you know, what? You two? I thought I was the only one. So when two people realize a common truth or commonality they never realized that someone else had with them is when friendship can often begin. Now, you guys know, of course, Tim Cartwright, our junior high pastor. I think I met Tim when I was in my early 20s, and he's from Philadelphia. I'm from the Washington, D.C. area. And so when we first met, it was like, what? You hate the Dallas Cowboys too? I thought I was the only one. And so then a deep friendship then ensued, right? But sometimes it can begin superficial, where you may have some common interest with someone else, but then it shouldn't stay there. It should be cultivated into a deeper friendship. But the point Lewis is trying to make is that real friendships are discovered, not forced. And so... If your life is about just getting friends, you're never going to have friends. If your life is not about something, and you don't meet people along the way that have similar, that aha moment of we have this in common, then you're going to struggle with friendship. Friendship must be about something else besides the friendship itself, or it will not sustain. This is why I think in the church, we are set up so well to have real friendship. Because if friendship must be about something else, then we have the best thing that it could be about, and it's the gospel. Because after all, the gospel is where real friendship begins. On the eve of his crucifixion, in John 15, 15, there's a scene where Jesus has a meal with his disciples in the upper room. And he turns to his disciples and he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. 
And so we serve Jesus who lets us in. He lets his disciples in. He lets them all the way in. And I know it can sound cliche to say Jesus is our truest friend, but that's only because we have gutted the word of its meaning. Jesus is the one who calls us his friends. He's the one using the word. He's the one calling his disciples that. He's the one calling us that. And so Jesus, the eternal, all-powerful creator, sits with his disciples in this scene, and he calls them friends. I heard a pastor say, the cross is a cosmic act of friendship. And so the greatest resource for friendship is the gospel. And I think once we understand this, we'll realize that Christian friendship is really about extending the fellowship of Christ to one another. Christian friendship is about you have this relationship, this friendship with Jesus Christ through his work on the cross. And when you have fellowship with him, you extend that fellowship to other people. And this is the essence of true Christian friendship. True Christian friendship is about recognizing the friendship offered us in Christ, receiving it in faith, and then extending that fellowship to other people. And this mission, so the thing that C.S. Lewis is talking about, that we get to make our friendships about here in the church is the mission of the gospel, is the kingdom of sharing the gospel with our city and people that we know. And when you pursue Christ and his kingdom and his mission, you're going to find people running along next to you, and now you get to run together and live on mission together. And now your friendship has a point. Now your friendship has a meaning and a purpose. And friendship should always have a meaning and a purpose. And the purpose you get to live out is the purpose of the gospel, living on mission together. What if Temple Bible Church became a place where in a world of loneliness and isolation and individualism, what if a Temple Bible Church, friendship just looked different? That the people in our city would look in here and say, man, there's just something different happening in there. What is that? How do I get to be part of that? What would happen in this city if we saw friendship being lived out in this body of believers in such a way? That it powerfully transforms a city and a community. We have some friends in our small group, uh, Shane and Lindsay Miller, who they just got married recently. If you see them, they'll have it all over their face, big smiles, you know. And recently got married. And Shane had shared with our group, he said he, he has a, a chance for a job promotion a few months ago in Minnesota. And we're like, Shane, who wants to move to Minnesota? But it was a promotion and a raise and all the good things that come with a job transfer. And the thing that made him decide to stay here in Temple is he said, he said, I can't, 
said, I can't leave these friendships. He said, I can't leave the relationships I have here. And I just thought, wow, like you don't see that much. And so here's someone who gets it. Someone who understands the meaning of friendship and the meaning of uh, those kinds of relationships. And so what would our, our church become, what would the city become if, if we all embrace that vision of friendship that Christ wants us to embrace? A couple of quotes I want you to read as we close. We have few friendships because we are not willing to pay the price of friendship. The secret of friendship is just the secret of all spiritual blessing. The way to get is to give. As we do all this, we give our friends grace. If we need our friends to be perfect friends, we'll become terrible friends. The best advice for cultivating friendship is not to find a better friend, but to become one. God, we thank you for um, extending friendship to us in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for him coming here in the flesh and living among men and befriending people and living out friendship as a model for us, not just in the day-to-day, but ultimately in his death, in his life, death, and resurrection. We thank you that he has won the victory for us so that we, although we are flawed, can live out friendship here with you, but also with others. We thank you for that. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be a church, help us to be a a, a people who want to live that out here in our city, Father, in our church, in our context. We pray the gospel is at the center of our friendships, Father. The gospel is at the center of what happens here in the body. And that because of that, we see people come to know you here in this church and also in our city. We pray this in your name. Amen.